continue this series called Crazy Enough. I know a lot of people don't believe me when I tell you that I am shy. I'm a shy person just by nature. That's how I've grown up. I am very, very shy. And so for me, my social habits in life have looked a lot like this. For me, they were more like social ruts. That was probably a more accurate term. Um, I was always around the same people because that was comfortable for me. Because I'm shy, it made it easier for me to be around the same people. And I would often wait, even through college, I would wait for people to come to me, kind of to approach me. I would wait for people maybe to address me, to engage me in conversation. But my quietness sometimes could be interpreted by other people kind of as a do not disturb sign hung around my neck. That's the way it could be interpreted kind of as being aloof or it could be interpreted as I'm in a closed group and no new people are allowed um, because new people made me uncomfortable. Um, So who were in the circle of my friends? Pretty much people who were like me. It made me more comfortable. For you, I don't know what your social habits are, but we all have them. Uh, And for most of us, though, in our lives, this is kind of this kind of happens to most of us. We go to work, we get home, we raise the garage door, we go in the front door, we close the door, and we're done with the rest of the world, right? We don't come back out. We don't go talk to our neighbors. We don't. We just kind of go in and we and we and we're done because we're finished with our day. Um, we may give people a peek at our lives um, with Facebook. We we let them know what we want them to see. We kind of control the perspective we want them to have. And so on Facebook, we might say, well, I saw this. We'll put a picture up or I heard this and we'll say something or we'll share something from somebody else or we'll, you know, we just we let people see what we want them to see, kind of a general look at our lives. And you might add a new person as a friend um, on Facebook, but rarely, rarely, rarely do we add people into our personal lives, our one-on-one, our face-to-face conversation list lives. And on Facebook, we'll put out a mass declaration. You know, we'll say something in mass. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. That's not the point of this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying on Facebook, we're really missing something. And what we're missing really is relationship. We seem to be missing relationships because we're too tired and we're too busy. We're too quiet. We're too scheduled. We're too temperamental, we're too impatient, we're too this, we're too that. Too many reasons to list, and any reason will do. We pretend to be the most social, the most neighborly, the most friendly generation thus far because we have things like Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat. But the reality is we have fewer friends Fewer face-to-face conversations and fewer genuine social interactions today than any generation that has preceded us. Today, friend requests are almost totally virtual. And most of our friend list, they're filled with people that we don't really know or people that we don't really talk to. And so often we look at a friend list and we see names and we're like, who is that person? We don't even know who they are. You do that, right? Now, in the first century, when Jesus was around, when he walked on the earth, the Jewish people had very special friend request 
requirements. They developed some very special requirements to handle friend requests. They, here were the requirements. The first requirement was this for a Jewish person. They had, whoever was requesting friendship, they had to follow the laws strictly. The second requirement, the person who was being asked to be a friend, they could not risk getting dirty by hanging out with Jews who were not as good as themselves. They couldn't risk it. Number three, they would not risk getting dirty by hanging out with non-Jews. And number four, this one kind of ruled it all. When in doubt, shut them out. And that's how they handled their friend requests for their society and their social life. Now, fortunately, Jesus did not share their views. He didn't share their understanding of that, about having friends and being friendly. So how did Jesus handle his friend requests? Well, let's take a look and see. Now, when Jesus was in transition from one teaching place to another, um, he was with his disciples and those that he had called out so far. This is where we're getting ready to pick up him and this journey that he's on. Now, right now, those who were his disciples, right now, most of them were professional fishermen. They were not scholars. They were not upper level on the social scale, but they were working, hard working men in respectable careers. That's who he had surrounded himself with thus far. And this is where we pick up Jesus in transition as he's walking along with these disciples he had called so far. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. We're going to do part of it, then we'll get to more of it in just a moment. It says this in verse 9, as Jesus was walking along. Now, wherever, whenever Jesus was going, wherever, whenever he, he was in the process here, we didn't, we're not sure where, we, we, he just, he was physically present. It goes on to say, as Jesus was walking along, he saw. Now, Jesus was not in a daze. He wasn't just with his head down, walking, looking at the ground, thinking spiritual thoughts and trying to be holy. He was not in a rut. He was not in a routine daze. He was very aware of what's going on around him. Jesus was not in a rut. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tech tax collector's booth. So, fishermen, that, that's who was hanging out with Jesus as his disciples. Now, they may not have been high on the socially elite scale, but these fishermen were not automatically morally suspect because these were upstanding men. They were religiously uh, respected even. They were upstanding men. However, Matthew, just by his profession, was suspect. He was even spiritually suspect. Now, here's how the Roman Empire handled it. So when they would go conquer a nation, a people group, they would recruit tax collectors from among that people group that they had just conquered. So when they were collecting taxes for the Roman government, they were being collected by 
citizens of that country that they had just conquered. That very same people group. Now that was Matthew. And here's what would happen. I, I mean, this just happened. They, they, the Romans allowed it, and this is the way it worked. The tax collector would collect more taxes from a person than were called for, and the tax collector would keep all the extra. And they got filthy, filthy rich. It was a common practice, and so it was one of the Jews themselves collecting taxes from the other Jews to give to a foreign government that had conquered them, and they would collect more than was necessary, and they would keep the extra. And the people knew this. And the people saw tax collectors as the worst the worst of sinners. They were ruthless. And they had the power of the Roman government to enforce that they would get those taxes. Now, Matthew and his buddies, his other tax-collecting buddies, they were despised by most people. They were thought of as the lowest form of humanity. They were despised by Israel, but not by Jesus Christ. They were avoided by most of the people in the community, but Jesus actually stops and he has a conversation. He talks with Matthew and he talks kindly to Matthew. Very interesting. Here's what he says. It's on the, the next part of the, the verse here. He says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Jesus Christ actually invites Matthew among the most despised people living at that time. He invites him. Wow. The other people in the area, they spoke to Matthew too, but they spoke curses to Matthew. Jesus here actually speaks to him and gives him an opportunity toward life. Now, not only did Jesus speak to such a vile sinner, but he invited Matthew, a tax collector. He invited Matthew to become one of his closest followers. Now listen to what this implies. This is huge. Here is the ultimate in forgiveness and the ultimate in unconditional acceptance from Jesus offered to Matthew. Now, I, I could only imagine that Matthew's conscience at this very moment that Jesus, and he has heard of Jesus, at this very moment that Jesus speaks to him kindly and invites him to follow him, his conscience, the conscience of Matthew, must have been in torment at that moment. And he accepts the master's invitation to this amazing spiritual cleansing and this restoration that Jesus is offering him. And it's an invitation to give up his wealth to give up his money and his position and all the privilege that went with that position. It was an invitation to leave all of that. 
the Messiah King with all authority on heaven and earth proves by his very words to Matthew, he proves this by turning what they considered to be the worst of sinners into one of the disciples of Jesus. And amazingly, Jesus chooses these types. As his closest followers, his disciples, these are the people Jesus chooses. The people that he is going to entrust this whole plan of starting churches. He entrusts them to these guys. Now, the religious people that were around and were listening to this, all they could see were the failures of Matthew, and there were many. But Jesus saw them admit their failures, and Jesus offers forgiveness. And he invites them into the closest of relationships with himself. And at the same time, all of those people who were very religious, Jesus just passes right over them, walks right by them. All the religious, all the self-righteous people, Jesus walked right by, not even a word. He speaks a word to whom? The worst of sinners that were present that day. You see, the religious people wanted to keep those guys at arm's length. But Jesus actually embraces them, and he keeps the religious people at arm's length. The religious people, they thought that they had it right. And they looked down their judgmental noses at people like Matthew. And Jesus is saying this, in essence... Self-righteous religious guys, you have this all wrong. Watch me. Watch what I'm getting ready to do. Jesus was crazy enough to win the world. How? How did he do it? Here's how he did it. One by one. As he walked by a Matthew, <laughs> that one, one by one. Oop, there's another one. There's another one. One at a time. One by one. As a person crossed his path, he crossed the path of a person one by one, one at a time, no matter what their hurt was, no matter what their hang-up or their habit was, no matter what their sin was, they were invited. That person did not have to clean up their life first. They didn't have to get it all right and get it all organized and put it all back together to, to, so that they could then follow Jesus. No, no, one by one, one at a time, addition. He added that one, then he added that one, then he added that one, then he added that one, and that one, and that one. He added them one at a time, just as they were, one at a time. One by one. Jesus was crazy enough to invite them. And I want to tell you this. As one of your pastors at Stuttgart Harvest Church, 
We are crazy enough to try to win the world. One by one. Adding people to God's kingdom. So the verse goes on. It'll be on the screen. So Matthew got up and followed him. Let's pause there for a moment. Matthew gets up. He pushes away from the tax collector's table. He gets up with no big show and simply follows Jesus. And Matthew has now been won. Jesus won him. He was asked by the one, Jesus himself. And Matthew is now one. Jesus wins, right? You see, if someone is going to be one to Jesus, somebody has to ask. Someone has to be there in that process somewhere, and they have to ask. In this case, it was Jesus himself who won Matthew. But I want you to know, this church that you are part of, Stuttgart Harvest Church, we are just crazy enough that one at a time, one by one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, we're going to try to win people into an eternal, everlasting relationship with Jesus. But someone has to ask. Someone has to invite. And that person is you. That person is me. If we are going to win them into an eternal, everlasting relationship with Jesus, somebody has to invite. In this case, Jesus was doing the inviting, but he has now left that to you and to me. And here Matthew responds, and he follows. But did you know, not everyone that Jesus invited followed Read the Gospels. I encourage you to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not everyone that Jesus invited followed him. That is true. And if everyone that Jesus invited did not follow Jesus, then how much more does that mean for us? Not everyone you invite to come along on this journey of following Jesus is going to join you in following Jesus. But in this case, Matthew was one into the family of God. He was one. And in our case, you are the individual. You're the individual who will invite and some of those that you invite will be one into an eternal relationship with Jesus. One at a time. One at a time. God will win them through your kind words. They will be one by one. And that one is you. It goes on to say in verse 10. Later... Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples. Let's pause there for a moment. 
So Matthew now invites Jesus and the disciples. Matthew, the hated, in, in the eyes of the culture, the hated, the disgusting tax collector, the hated sinner, invited. Now here's a question. Question for all of us. Who is inviting you? Who has been inviting you into their lives? Who has been inviting you into friendship? And the answer to that, don't miss this, the answer to that question says something about us. It says something about our openness to the people around us. It says something about our willingness to be involved. It says something about you and me and our interaction with other people. Who is inviting you into their lives? Who is inviting you to invest your life into theirs, into their friendship? In this case, Matthew, the hated tax-collecting sinner, is inviting Jesus now. The verse goes on. So later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other (laughs) disreputable sinners. Now, here is a very old Jewish custom. It's called table fellowship. And it sounds no big deal to us. Hey, Matthew invited them over to his house. This was a big deal. Inviting someone to your table in your house indicated a close, tight, intimate friendship between those people. Now, the Pharisees, these are the guys who thought they had it all right. They were the professional rule followers. That's what they did. They followed the laws, and they made up their own and followed those too. The Pharisees, they were snooty about all of these special rules that they had created about who they liked, who they didn't like, who they would eat with, in their home, at their table, and who they would not eat with, especially people like tax collectors and sinners. And they now assume that Jesus, being a rabbi, being the wise teacher that Jesus was claiming to be, should share their snooty beliefs about who they would and would not eat with which they believed these were spiritual beliefs. That's what they thought. They had fooled themselves into thinking, this is what God wants us to do, they thought. But Jesus had no such rules. And he displayed, Jesus in this situation, displayed his unconditional acceptance and love and impartiality as he sat down and shared a meal when he was invited to go to Matthew's house table fellowship. This was a big deal. Now, things get messy. You know why things get messy? Because life is messy. And we're either pretending that it's not messy, or we're admitting, yeah, life is messy. 
You see, some people get in a church and they hide their mess because they think that's what ex- is expected. I have to pretend that everything's okay and that everything's up and to the right. Everything's going to be great. Everything's awesome. They get in the habit of hiding their mess, pretending they don't have a mess, pretending they are not a mess. It's kind of a church camouflage, real pew camo. (laughs) That's what we'll call it. And you know, sometimes we hide it, this camo, we hide it by getting really busy in the church. And so if I'm busy enough and serving enough, people won't know how messed up I am. And I'll feel better too because I'm busy serving. And so we try to hide and camouflage the mess in our lives And Jesus, in this scenario, did not try to hide a thing. He was not messy, but he jumped himself. His pure, his holy, his sinless self jumped in the middle of this mess. That's what he did. And he was crazy enough to do it. One person, by one person, that is addition. I'm going to add that one. That was Matthew. I'm going to add this one. I'm going to add that one. I'm going to add that one one at a time, one at a time. But you know what? Addition addition can become multiplication. Multiplication happens much faster, doesn't it? It gets bigger faster. It grows faster. And so in this case, there's a little bit of multiplication involved because Jesus invited one. He invited Matthew. But guess what Matthew did? Matthew turned around and invited Jesus and the disciples to his house. But then Matthew turned around and invited all the people that he knew that were considered disgusting sinners, just like Matthew. And they all gathered. He multiplied himself 10, 20, 30 people. I don't know, but it multiplied Jesus invited, there was one, and then Matthew got involved according to God's plan, and now it began to multiply, and he had multiples, and that is what leads us to our 911 verse, our 911 verse for today. I hope you read the blog this week. We're going to have a series of 911 verses where we just kind of call out to God. We look at God's 911, and last week we looked at one on the blog. This week we're going to look at another one, but today we're talking about one in this story. Our 911 verse here. This week's 911 verse is this Matthew 9, verse 11. This is the next verse, 911. Here we go. But when the Pharisees saw this, that Jesus and his disciples eating, having a meal, sitting at the table of Matthew and all the other disgusting sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher, and you could look at it this way, why does your, your teacher why does your teacher, what, and they're like saying, what kind of guy are you following that he would sit down with these people? What kind of teacher, they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Notice the Pharisees' hearts here. They're mean, nasty mocking, name-calling, judgmental hearts. Cold, closed hearts. 
And notice, they get critical of Jesus in this case, not to the face of Jesus, but behind his back. Now often when you're following Jesus, and if you're crazy enough to do it, criticism is going to be close behind. But so often it will be behind and not to your face. It'll be coming from people who are religious and who maybe look spiritual. But so often, as in this case, it'll be coming from behind. They were like, listen, why does your teacher, if that's what you can call him, eat with such scum? Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, make no mistake, he hears. Jesus hears, make no mistake. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy, and I can almost imagine Jesus saying, healthy, because they're not really healthy. Healthy people, as if he's saying, like you Pharisees, healthy people, people that think they have it all together, that think that they are right and righteous, self-righteous, healthy people don't need a doctor, Jesus said. Sick people do. And Jesus confronts these hypocrites and their mean, arrogant self-righteousness. Jesus says, I, my friends here, I am the sole doctor. I'm the doctor of the human spirit. And I am not here for people who are pretending to be healthy. I'm here for the people that are admitting I am sick. Jesus said, I am here to forgive the people who are admitting they need forgiveness. I'm here for the people who are hungry for forgiveness. And do you know what? The doctor, the healer, the forgiver will have to get his hands dirty. That's what Jesus is saying. And I want you to know, as your pastor, one of your pastors, we are crazy enough to believe Jesus. And we're crazy enough to try to do what he says. We're crazy enough to try to win the world around us. Jesus was not paying much attention at all to those self-righteous people who thought that they had it all together and they thought that they had everything worked out and figured out. No, Jesus was pursuing those who knew that they needed a Savior. And now Jesus actually calls you and me to do the very same thing by pursuing friends. Friends who know that they need something different. Friends who know that what they have been doing is not working. Just like Jesus pursued them. We want to do this. I've got a slide that James is going to put on the screen for us. We want to do it as best we can, just like Jesus did here, one by one, one person at a time. This is how we reach them. One person at a time, trying to connect them with Jesus, one by one, just like Jesus did. 
Just like he did with Matthew. Just like he did with the others. One by one by one. That's addition. One at a time. One at a time. Friends being added to God's family. One by one by one. And for most of you this morning, that's why you are here right now. Because one by one by one by one. But that's not where we stop, one at a time. Go to the next slide, James. That's not where we stop. We've got this. We don't want to just one at a time be friendly and loving and kind, but we actually want to see that person one to Christ, to have an eternal, everlasting relationship with Jesus, their, their Messiah, their Savior. They want we want to see them one to Jesus. But then there's another one there, one by one. And you are that one. That is you. God using you as a step in the process to win them by inviting them into God's family. See, that's your part. You see, people don't just show up and jump into God's family. Someone, a, a friend invites them and you are that someone you are that friend you pursue with them a friendship a genuine i care about you and your life and what happens in your life i care about you that kind of friendship and then you invite them you see we've always encouraged you to invite your friends because they trust you. They trust their friends. They don't trust, generally, they don't trust a stranger. And that is why we started Stuttgart Harvest Church, because there are so many people in our area, in our state, that have turned their backs on church, on traditional church, so often because they felt, maybe for them and their situation, their, their circumstance, maybe they felt the tr traditional church had turned their back on them. And we are here to see people eternally connected with Jesus and given a second chance at life. That's why we're here. And we ask you, be a friend. And invite your friends because they are one by one. Now, this next one is a biggie. This is huge. You haven't heard us talk a lot about this because we've been so focused on what God has called us to do this very moment. But let me give you a hint. There's so much more. The next slide, James. Give me the next slide. This is a biggie. Again, we go back to one by one. So you're like, what does that mean? We're going back to the beginning? Oh, I get it. It's a cycle. It's a circle. No. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. One church. Starting one church. One by one. Let me break that down for you. Because this is huge. This is so big. This is how Stuttgart Harvest Church got here. That's how it happened, one by one. That one by one. This is how it happened. God placed it on the heart of a small group of people. 
to create a safe place for people to connect with God. And so that's what we did. That was one church. And you know what? Eventually, I don't know when, but eventually God is going to tell Stuttgart Harvest Church to start another church. I only know this is true because this is what we find in God's Word. And we are just crazy enough to believe it. We don't know when, we don't know where, but someday God is going to say to Stuttgart Harvest Church, now go. And He will point to somewhere, and He will point to some place that needs a safe place for people to connect with God. And Stuttgart Harvest Church, we don't know when, and we don't know where, but we know this. Stuttgart Harvest Church is called by God in His Word to create safe places for people to connect with God eternally through Jesus Christ. And that's how we were started here. And it is in our DNA, our genetics as a church, to eventually start other churches. Now, you know what happens? When a church begins to start churches, it is the true beginning of multiplication of Christ followers. You see, right now we have been involved in addition of Christ followers. Every week, adding people to God's family. Every week, adding, adding. But God has a next step for us, and that's multiplication. And here's how this works. This is so crazy. Jesus was putting his disciples into training. He was allowing them to see addition. But he was putting them into training so that one by one, they would begin in the future to experience multiplication, not just addition, but the multiplication of churches. Not not just one church, the multiplication of churches. And Jesus drops on these guys, tax collectors and fishermen, just normal guys, Jesus drops on them this enormous plan. And it's called the Great Commission. You should look it up and find it in the Bible. He sets them out to start their church. And then to start churches. One church starting another church, one by one. Suddenly, addition becomes multiplication, and multiplication becomes exponential. As churches continue starting churches, one by one, multiplication, and God was crazy enough to have these roughneck guys he called his disciples to become the first church planters and church starters in history. And he sent them out to fulfill the Great Commission. Let me describe for you the power of multiplication, God's view, God's way. Picture it. 
So Stuttgart Harvest Church, we who gather at Stuttgart Harvest Church, let's say we baptize 30 to 50 people in a year. Let's say that's what we do. We baptize 30 to 50 people in a year, and those are people who have come to the place in their life where they say this, I surrender this life to Jesus, and I want to follow him. I'm going to come out and say, I'm a Christ follower. And that's when we baptize them. At some point after that decision, we baptize them. And that is their baptism is letting the world know, letting you know, letting this area know that, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. I want to make that public. I want you to know. So let's say, Stuttgart Harvest Church, we add to God's kingdom 30 to 50 people a year. Let's just say that. Now, God tells at some point Stuttgart Harvest Church to go. He says, I want you to go here and this place over here, and this is when I want you to go. Now go. So Stuttgart Harvest Church, at some point, they say, yes. Okay, God, yes, that's what you said. That's what we'll do. And we send a seed over to that area, a handful of people with some money and some equipment, and we send them over there from Stuttgart Harvest Church to the place where God points at the time that God says go, and we are obedient to what God says, and we start a second church, wherever that is that God says go. And now that church also begins to baptize 30 to 50 people a year. Now suddenly... Stuttgart Harvest Church is not just adding people to God's kingdom. There's multiples because now instead of 30 to 50 people being added to God's kingdom every year, now suddenly it's 60 60 to 100 people just because they started a church. Two churches working together to create a safe place for people to connect to God. That's not addition any longer. That's the power of multiplication. Now, James, go to the next slide. One by one, one at a time. God did that, and and that's part of his plan, and that's addition. One by one, your part, to help win, to invite that person. That's your part, my part too. One by one, but then one by one, a church starting a church is multiplication. So let's say these two churches decide to take God seriously and this church and that church, they say, you know what? God has called us to start a church. And let's say these two churches start another church. They start one and we start one. Now suddenly, God directs, and we say yes. God points to a place, wherever that might be, and the two churches each start a church exactly where God points, and now suddenly, two churches have become four churches. This is how God did it with the disciples, and He has not stopped. For some reason, we have stopped in in our world today. But God says, don't stop. 
And let's say they take God seriously. Now these two churches working together have started now. They start another two churches, and now there's four churches. And simply by doing what God has asked them to do together, now they're baptizing about 200 people, bringing 200 people a year into God's kingdom together. And let's say they continue listening to God. And he says, go start a church. And they say, okay, God, I don't know how we're going to do it. But you said do it. We're going to figure it out. And you say where, and you say when, and we'll do it. And let's say God said to each church, go start a church. Those four churches starting a church. And together now, those churches are baptizing 500 people a year. Because they just simply did what God asked them to do. And they didn't stop. Those 500 are lives who are being baptized. Souls being baptized. But think about all of the lives together. Those are just the ones being baptized. Think about all of the lives together, meeting together to worship Jesus, to allow him somehow, some way to change them. All of those people together in those eight churches, all about the size of Stuttgart Harvest Church, but together, together there are 3,000 people every single week in church worshiping Jesus and seeing families brought together and people with habits, Jesus helping them to break those habits. People with hang-ups submitting themselves to Jesus and following him all because we were crazy enough to look beyond ourselves and what we have created here to say we have more towns and more people and more areas that need to connect with Jesus and we'll be a part. We'll do our part. Church by church, town by town, one by one. Now for you and for me. This is where your tires hit the street and get traction. Who is inviting you? Who is inviting you? And the answer to that question tells you this, how open you are towards other people. Is your life closed and shut off from other people or is your life open to other people? Who is inviting you? Not inviting you to their church. Who's inviting you into their life? Who's inviting you? Do we find ourselves shut inside our house and keeping our circle of relationships very tiny and very controllable and very safe and very comfortable? Or is our door to our life wide open? You venturing out. Who's inviting you? Here's our second question. Who are you? inviting are you staying in your comfort zone with just a few people that you like or are you heading outside of your comfort zone straight for the people that others are afraid to invite your boss 
your supervisor, your manager, the owner of your business, maybe just just your coworker who is right beside you at the desk next to you or the workstation beside you. What about that person that no one else at your work could imagine them stepping foot inside of a church? But before you can invite them, you have to friend them with actual conversations and genuine kindness and concern. Many, many, many conversations. Not talking about a blanket invitation on Facebook that says, hey, come to church with me. That's okay. We can do that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you face to face with a real person giving them a personal invitation. You, yes, you, I'll meet you in the parking lot if you'll come with me. Or I'll come pick you up and you can ride with me. I'll meet you there. I'll walk in with you. You inviting them, that person. But before you invite them, you have to prove to them that you really care. Now, how do you know If they feel cared for by you, how do you know that they feel cared for by you? Here's how you know. They are inviting you. That's how you know. So who's inviting you? And who are you inviting? And then, someday, whenever that day may be, for Stuttgart Harvest Church, where where is it? And when is it? Maybe we should say wherever it is and whenever it is. When God says go start a church, we say yes. And we ask you, how are you going to help us do it? That's where we end for today. Who's inviting you and who you're inviting? Who are you inviting? And will you help us? This week, we've got more 911 scriptures on the blog this week, so don't miss the blog this week. We've got two posts, one coming Monday and one coming Thursday. Let's pray. God, when the Pharisees saw what was going on, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum, such sinners. And Jesus, the answer is because you created them and you love them. And God, I pray that you continue to do what you have already started in Stuttgart Harvest Church, that you continue to give us a love for the people around us. One by one. They will be one by one, and then one by one as we start churches, whenever you say. And God, as we celebrate you changing lives, we watch this next video. Prayerfully, this video, lives in the process of changing. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Watch this.